Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. This morning, we will be reading from Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20. Um, And it sounds a little something like this. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let let not your hands grow weak. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt you over the loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at the time I will deal with your oppressors, and I will save the lame, and I will gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you, at that time I will gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among the peoples of the earth. When I restore your I don't know where you landed on your favorite carol, but uh, I, I do like a good sort of, you know, achingly longing Adventish sort of song. One of my favorites is Blood Oranges in the Snow, which the sound sort of taps into that. Another one, which will be probably familiar to you, Joni Mitchell's River. Anyone? It's coming on Christmas, right? You guys know this one? They're cutting down trees. They're putting them reindeer and singing songs of joy and peace. And then she croons, oh, I wish I had a river I could skate away on. You guys know this one? No? Oh, it's worth a listen, right? You should go. I I think sometimes that feeling, I wish I had a river I could skate away on, I think sometimes uh, that feeling is a more accurate depiction of our Christmas experiences. Maybe it's not yours this morning. Maybe it has been in the past. It might be the experience of your neighbor. But it's a song that I think invites us into the feelings and the questions that often land with particular force during the Christmas season. Will we ever know joy again? Will I know joy? Is there any hope of laughter again in the midst of the grief that I carry? Perhaps that is an ache or um, you have felt the weight of that ache in your own life this morning. I, I was, uh, have recently landed on a, uh, uh, what's the word here? I don't know. A fun little novel called The Last Unicorn. And I'm just, because you're a captive audience, I'm just taking you there whether you want to go or not. But there was a scene in The Last Unicorn by Peter S., uh, I think it's Beagle, that uh, I just it felt like sort of captured the feeling again of this song for me. There's obviously a unicorn, the last unicorn, uh, perhaps. I don't know. You have to read the book to find out. Uh, but he's walking along. They're on a quest. And on one side of him is Schmendrick the magician. And on the other is Molly Grew. And they each have their own stories of brokenness. And they're on this quest. They don't know where they're going or why. But in the middle is this, obviously, this sort of magical creature, this unicorn. It's very mysterious. But uh, they're walking along in this moment. And uh, Molly's and the magician's experiences of sort of the journey they're on have been a little different. And the author uses this description. He says, the rain that renewed Molly on one side of the unicorn did not fall on Schmendrick. He seemed ever more parched and deserted like the land itself. And in this 
phrase, the unicorn couldn't heal him. Although a touch of her horn could have brought him back from the dead, over despair she had no power. And that image has resonated as I've thought about Christmas this morning. Maybe you feel that distance, right? Like Schmendrick, you're on the other side. Maybe you're physically close to all sorts of people, even this morning or in your family celebrations or at your business, you know, Christmas party. You're physically close to all sorts of people, but inside you are far away. The things you carry have created distance. The interior of your life is cloaked in a shroud of despair. You're alive, yes, but nothing in this life seems to have any power over despair for you. Refreshing rain seems to fall on all sorts of folks, but it's the folks over there. Yours is all parched earth. Maybe, maybe it's the feeling of, uh, I think it's Brene Brown describes joy and its vulnerability. It's, it's this feeling you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Maybe it already has in your life. You're here this morning and you're run down or exhausted from the effort you've expended just to kind of hold it all together. So sort of uh, fatigued in that effort that, man, battered. Any joy that, that could have sparked or perhaps wants to spark in your life this season has just been battered into apathy. It's easier to not care. It's easier to maintain that distance. You just got to do what you can to get through and survive. Maybe lost in the despair of that experience of your circumstances. You wonder, will things ever improve? Will I ever know joy? Again, genuine joy. Again, I know we're close to Christmas and the kids are full of joy at the moment. We will land with joy, but I think before we get there, it's okay to be honest about this feeling. And I think Zephaniah helps us, helps you and me step into sort of the honesty of this space, the space we try to wrap over and paper over all the time in our lives. Zephaniah, just again, for a bit of context, we read the very end of the book. It's a short book, uh, and we'll consider its context in a moment, but just how uh, I'm going to ask you to trust me and take my word for it here. Zechari- uh, Zephaniah, rather, is dark. It's Advent dark. Long, dark, winter day is dark. It's full of judgment and fear and insecurity. It's Joni Mitchell dark, okay? I wish I had a river I could skate away on, right? It's It's dark. It's a voice that belongs in the collection of what we've been referring to as the minor prophets. These voices in the Old Testament that aren't minor in significance again, but their their length, the length of their writings is brief and and short in comparison to some of the others. Their words, uh, Zephaniah's words are at home uh, in the season again of Advent because they anticipate uh, God's intervention, but they do it from a place of just sort of honesty about how broken uh, life seems to be, or in this case, the impending feeling and knowledge that things feel like they're about to fall apart. You see, Zephaniah's voice is a little different than uh, the others we've considered, Zechariah and Malachi. Uh, their position in the story of Israel came later. It sort of came after the fact, right? They had been exiled. Life had been obviously broken. They're returning. There's the hope of rebuilding, and they're kind of faced with the brokenness of all those expectations. Zephaniah comes earlier in the story. He's on the front end of exile. 
He's, he's before things have, have really sort of all the way fallen apart. And in this moment, he anticipates disaster. The other shoe, the other foot, I don't know what the cliche is, dropping, right? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. He's anticipating doom. And, and, and while we've considered other questions like, God, where are you? Will there be justice? And, and, and God, you know, uh, last week we sat with the passage wondering, like, would, would we be clean? Could we ever be clean again? Sort of confronted with the honesty of our brokenness. This week it's a different question as he anticipates destruction and brokenness for all kinds of legitimate reasons. He, we wonder, oh, will we know joy? Zephaniah is writing at the time that Israel, at the moment, there, there's a bit of reprieve. The, the kingdom has been divided. The northern kingdom has been overrun by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom, Judah, is, is experiencing a bit, of, a bit of peace, but they're sort of caught between sort of larger geopolitical movements. The Assyrians are about to be overrun by the Babylonians, and in a short while, the Babylonians will come and overrun Judah, the people to whom Zephaniah writes. And it's at this precarious moment that, that he, he writes honestly, anticipating destruction and brokenness and, and corruption, the results of corruption and sin and all these kinds of things. He's anticipating, again, the other shoe to fall, and he writes sort of singularly focused on this theme, the day of the Lord, he calls it. He's rooted in the flow of history, but he's concerned with where it's going, and it doesn't look good. He describes this day as a kind of, it's, it's, this will be the sort of calamitous or hu human efforts to save the world will, will coincide finally with, with the Lord's intervention and his purposes. And there will be judgment. And we wonder, will there be, will there be hope? It just feels like bad news. You read much of Zephaniah, and again, you're like, Give me some skates, right? Uh, where is a river I can skate away on? And then we just his name alone, his name alone, Zephaniah, literally means God hides. Where is he? Will I ever know joy again? Riding on the brink of the fall of Jerusalem. I mean, life is literally about to fall apart. He raises questions that are familiar to us, to you and me. They're variations on a theme we've been hearing all Advent long. This week, the question, will we ever know joy again? Is there any hope of, of laughter? I told you, I told you Zephaniah was dark, right? I mean, it's like Psalm 137 dark. Psalm 137 was written during the experience of exile. So, so the stuff Malachi reflects back on, the stuff Zephaniah anticipates, Psalm 37 is a, is a voice within that moment. And in Psalm 137, sorry, they, they describe the feeling. They said, we are so in such despair, we have hung up our harps. The Babylonians say, sing for us a song of Zion. And they say, how can we sing? This is... This is what Zephaniah anticipates. How can we sing? Will we sing again? Will we know joy? Which makes, right, which makes the passage that Clint read for us this morning all the more astonishing and remarkable. Right? You can feel it slipping away. I thought about a public reading of the entire book, but thought maybe, you know, Maybe not, all right? I wasn't sure how that would go over, so we just read the end. But if you were to sit with it, you could feel it just ebbing away, life slipping 
away. And then we get to this incredible conclusion. Verse 14, which Clint read for us, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. And you read it, and the experience is whiplash. Wait, what? What are you on about? Right, we, we've hung up our harps, buddy. Like, we know where this is going. So what prompts this turn, this change of, of tone? What is it that, that happens? What is it that Zephaniah anticipates? I, I think we find it sort of the central theme of this passage in verses 15 and 17. He's so important. He says it twice, and it's the anchor, the framework, the, the sort of rock on which everything else that we read or have read this morning flows. In verse 15, he says, The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. And then he says it again in verse 17. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, and he is mighty. He will save. Everything else that follows in the passage in and around this expression are like the cascading effects of this truth. Right, it will fill the rest of the, the passage. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a response to the ache for joy that you may carry this morning. That searching question, will we know joy? Again, Zephaniah says the, the place where that question finds a home is in this reality. Regardless of what you're experiencing, the Lord is in your midst. He, he, he does a couple of things here. I just want to make a couple of observations as we make our way through here. And the first is that he's really honest, I think, again, as we've seen about our condition. It's evident in the passage, right? There's weakness, there's despair, right? It's the reason for the response uh, from God here. He doesn't ignore our brokenness. In fact, he names it right at the beginning. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He's cleared away your enemies. What that says to you and me this morning is that the joy that we come to know from the presence of God with us is not a kind of paper over patchwork job. Let's just find a big bow, slap it on there, and maybe it will numb the ache that we carry. Nope. That's not what happens here. He names it, right? They are broken in their sinfulness. Uh, Judgment is really what we deserve. Our hearts are turned inward, irrevocably focused upon and in ourselves. And yet God deals definitively with that. He will remove judgment. It's, It's the cross, if you will, before the resurrection. It's an addressing of all that is broken in us. But it's the hope that 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 is not the last word. Not the last laugh, if you if you will. I, I came across. I've uh, enjoyed a bit of her writing. Her name is Sarah Condon, and and uh, uh, she writes about this moment, this feeling of sadness, the awkwardness. She says of trying to slap holly jolly happiness over the bleak midwinter that maybe you uh, are in this morning. We want to dress up, she says, our, uh, dress up and over our addictions or our deep griefs with parties and shopping and forced smiles. But, she says, God will send Joni Mitchell to hunt us down. If we ignore the grief and the pain of human existence, she says, then all we're left with is the hardest part, which is the command, be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. But neither 
our reading of Zephaniah, nor its fulfillment in Jesus at Christmas, allows us that or, or, or burdens us with that. Jesus nor Zephaniah denies sort of the, 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 the reality, the honest reality of our broken places. Instead, we find on offer in a passage like Zephaniah, what we've read this morning, a passage in which the moment of God with us, Christmas that we celebrate, the incarnation, uh, he shows up right in the middle of all of that. He is in your midst, right in the middle of those, precisely those broken places, places deserving of judgment, depraved of joy, weighed down with despair. It's precisely those places he shows up to redeem and restore, Zephaniah says. He redeems them. In that sense, we might say, as, as Sarah Condon's reflection prompts us, we, we remember that Christmas, or Christ holds everything all at once. We've been walking through these Advent cards you see on the wall over here, and many of you have been doing it with us, and it's been an, an opportunity for you to step into reflection with us. I've been considering how Jesus and his titles and names have been an answer to the hopes and fears that we carry. And during the week, this week, one of them reminded us of a passage in Colossians that in him all things hold together. Which again is a promise, uh, a gift, that this is not a holly jolly sort of happiness. It's rooted in God's work and care. He holds all things, even the brokenness, together. And, and I think this does something. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you don't want to admit it, but you, the, like Christmas feels like a burden, right? The, the, the sort of, why don't you have more Christmas cheer, right? I've been listening to Christmas music since, I don't know, October, right? And uh, yeah, <laughs> I can tell by the look on your face, Dylan, that, that you also have been doing that. But, uh, right, you can feel the pressure to uh, uh, to sort of, you, you got to be holly jolly, right? There's this all around you, this ache to, to sort of uh, the obligation to, to give off, to exude contentedness and happiness. Perhaps when you feel as though you have no reason to genuinely feel that way, the gospel doesn't say to you, be happy. This is not the burden of the good news of Jesus Christ. Instead, it's an invitation to rest in the promise that he is in your midst, even the broken bits, and he holds all of it together. He holds all of it together. It's in relationship to him that we are known, and even in our weakness and fatigue and listlessness, which Zephaniah alludes to, in the midst of all of that, we, we are known honestly, and yet, and yet he is with us still. That is the invitation of Christmas, first of all, to you and me, to be honest. I think it's what's all over this passage. But it's not just that uh, Zephaniah is honest about uh, our condition that deserves or is in need of correction. Uh, he's also really honest about the fact that God, which this leads us into the truth, that God, it is God's work. Joy is God's work. Before, it is a command. We read it in the New Testament, rejoice always. But before it's any of those things, it's rooted in, in God and his work. It's his work and joy. We, we I mean, I don't know, it's pretty obvious. It's like on the nose in the passage, right? Like we, but if you'll indulge me, 
We'll consider the observation, right? Listen to the commands. Think about who's the subject and who's the object. You ready? A little grammar. Would you just diagram the sentences? That would have been fun, but no? All right. Maybe next time. Here we go. All right, listen. You just listen to the commands. Uh, the he in this case is God, uh, and uh, the verbs will be apparent. So here we go. He will save, verse 17. He will sing. He will quiet. He will rejoice, verse 18. He will gather, verse 19. He will deal. He will save. He will gather. He will change, verse 20. He will bring. He will gather. He will restore. He, 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 he is the subject, the, the mover. He is the one. It is his, in fact, his joy is what anchors the brokenness of the passage. He is the one who will rejoice over you with singing. His joy is the source of all of the joy that will flow in the passage. His joy sets in motion everything that that follows. Like everything good in our lives, it finds its source in him. It is not something you have to manufacture. He will rejoice over you with gladness and exalt over you with singing. I think it's G.K. Chesterton whose writing is always humorously helpful in drawing us into a bit of our reflections on the gospel. He describes the emotions of Jesus, and he's like, you know, Jesus is kind of, this is a lot he let us see and he didn't let us see, but he said, I think there was one thing that he kept hidden. It was too great for God to sort of show us in all of its fullness when he walked upon the earth in Jesus. And he says, I have sometimes fancied that it was his mirth, his joy would have been too overwhelming to see in all of its radiance. And Zephaniah tells us that joy is expressed over you. Even in the broken, disastrous places of your life, the Lord is in your midst and he clears away sin and rejoices over you. Which brings me, we'll call it the conclusion, but I'll leave you to figure out if I'm really done. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's honest about our condition and then honest about the fact that God is the one who does the work. But then it's beautifully hopeful about our relief It is a breath, a relaxing sort of life-giving breath of relief in the passage. It's interesting to me that the consequence of all that we've reflected on, our brokenness, God's presence in the midst of it, his dealing with it, his joy, uh, that, that a consequence of all that, of all the places Zephaniah could have landed, he lands on the hopeful promise that there will be no fear. That ache, that anxiety you carry that the other shoe will eventually drop, that whatever goodness you're experiencing now is elusive, that that some goodness you have tasted that has proven elusive in the past, will I ever know it again? He says a consequence of resting in the truth that God is in your midst is relief from fear. Relief from fear that your life will unravel that you will have made an irrevocable mistake, that the judgments against you will never be overcome, a consequence of the truth that God is in your midst and he wipes away judgment is relief from fear, not just from fear, but from fearfulness. You no longer have to carry that ache and worry. And if you'll indulge me again, I'm going to take you to the fantasy land of Lord of the Rings one more time. We went here a couple of weeks ago and we're back. It's this book I like to return to during this time of the year. 
There's no unicorns, really. That was a different fantasy world. But if you're at all familiar with the world of the Lord of the Rings, you'll know that there's a character early in the story that I feel like is a little is contentious. People have strong feelings about Tom Bombadil. And I don't know why. He's so full of joy. But if you're around the Lord of the Rings conversations at all, some people are like... Why is that guy in there, right? He's a whole chunk of the first book, and they're just like, really, let's get on. And some people are like, no, he's beautiful. I'll leave you to decide or discern where I fall this morning. But it's a moment really early in the story to parallel our reading in Zephaniah, right? Like, like they know that the road is the hobbits, they being the hobbits. You guys know the hobbits, like Frodo, Sam, Mary, and Pip, right? He's like, what is this guy talking about? Just wrap this one up, please. Where's Joni Mitchell when you need her, right? Like, I need my skates, uh, right? But with the, the hobbits, Frodo and Bilbo, and uh, not Bilbo, Frodo and Sam and, and Mary and Pip are all, uh, just beginning this quest, and they're trying to relieve themselves of the burden, right? The, the burden of the ring that they carry and all that it represents of darkness and brokenness. And they're early. They know it will be hard, but they don't know how hard, right? But there's this feeling of doom right? That like, I mean, they're literally headed to a place called like Mount Doom. So, you know, they know that like there's, there's like Zephaniah, the anticipation of brokenness. And they're early in their quest and there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of insecurity. There's a lot of uncertainty. The, uh, the feeling that despair is in front of them and they have a sense of it, but they don't quite know how much, right? They're already a little overwhelmed. And then early in the story, right? In this moment, they become literally overwhelmed when they're swallowed alive by an old willow tree, old man willow. I don't, I don't know what despair you carry. I'm guessing you haven't literally been swallowed up by a willow tree, but maybe you know the feeling, right? They're kind of lulled into sleep. And then in, in the midst of that despair, they're just, they're trapped and, and captured, and there's a moment in this, they're, they're kind of each experiencing being drawn into this sort of feeling of despair and literally uh, encased in it, um, where we, we sort of read uh, Frodo's response to it. And this is what uh, Tolkien wrote, that it is an image that sticks with, with me vividly. In response to this moment, Frodo, he says, Frodo ran up the lane. Without any clear idea of why he did so or what he hoped for, Frodo ran along the path crying, help, help, help. And it occurs to me that that tracks well with my experience and maybe yours in the midst of despair. Maybe your relationship with faith is a conflicted one. You don't even know who you're calling out to or, or, or where it's going to land, but you're just running down the path, overcome with fear and perhaps despair. And maybe you don't say it audibly, but internally, help. Would someone please just help? And then, out of the despair of this moment, uh, Tolkien says, uh, there emerged a singing, a, a song, a long string of nonsensical words, he says. Out of a long string of nonsensical words, a voice rose up loud and clear, singing, suddenly, hopping, dancing along the path. There appeared above the reeds an old battered hat with a tall crown and a blue feather stuck in the band. Tom Bombadil, who knows the, the tune of things. He knows the songs of things. And, and Tolkien says he comes, his face creased into a hundred wrinkles of laughter. And I, I wonder this morning, if you need the countenance of a face creased with a hundred wrinkles of laughter, to show up in your life. 
we're told just a few pages later, they're in Bombadil's home. And Lady Goldberry, another sort of, you know, crazy, fantastical character in the story, speaks to the hobbits and says, you're still afraid. You're still afraid, she says, perhaps afraid of mist and tree and shadows and deep water and untamed things. But then she says, fear nothing. You are under the roof of Tom Bombadil. Man, you're really leaning into this story, I know. But I hear in this sort of fictional account, I'm drawn into the story of Zephaniah. Maybe you carry fear of deep water and untamed things and shadows in your own life. And Zephaniah says to you, fear nothing. The Lord is in your Midst. If you're here this morning, perhaps, maybe you feel close to the question, maybe not, I don't know, but the, the feeling, will I ever know joy again? The gospel is a word of grace to you this morning. Christmas holds everything. God is in your midst. He has dealt with judgment. It is not yours to manufacture this kind of joy. He rejoices over you, maybe you are here this morning and you're like, I'm too guilty, right? I'm, God, I'm, I'm too guilty. He says to you, I have taken away judgments against you. Maybe you're here and you say, I'm surrounded and overwhelmed. The circumstances of my life are too big and fierce. He says to you, I'm clearing away your enemies. Maybe you say, God, I'm so alone. I feel so distant he says to you, I am in your midst and I am mighty to save. Or maybe you're just here and it's taken everything you've got just to crawl to church this Christmas season and you say, I'm afraid and weak and tired. My arms are listless. He says to you, I am in your midst and I will give you strength. I don't know where you are in relation to any of those feelings or questions, but I hope you will hear the good news of Jesus this morning. The good news that Zephaniah anticipates in the midst of all that is broken, that you will join him in, in stepping into the gift of grace that is the promise that God is with you. Will you stand with me as we close? We're going to close with a song. Blake and the team are going to come and lead us. And then Clint will come back to dismiss us with some final instructions. And then you're going to eat some cookies, right? I don't know if this is appropriate, but I'd love to leave you with the image of Tom Bombadil this morning, right? I don't know. A face, a face wrinkled. Uh, oh, man. I don't know where you are this morning, but I want to invite you to pray with me. Jesus, we come to you. I come to you this morning thankful for the gospel, the good news that the work is yours. And Jesus, in a season where perhaps we, I, find ourselves overwhelmed or overrun with perhaps the griefs that we carry, the responsibilities, the pressures to be joyful, may we receive what is on offer from you this morning. May we remember, God, that you are not some distant figure 
of Christmas. And where we are burdened with the weight of the obligation to be jolly and content, would you draw us into an intimate and honest conversation with you? Honest, God, about all the broken things we may carry. And then, Father, restored with the promise that even there you are in our midst. Will you sing? Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.